You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Joe Jordan Berenis, the Executive Director of the Interfaith Community Shelter at Pete's Place. Joe, welcome. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. Glad to be here. So what is the Interfaith Community Shelter and... Um, I guess, how does it differ from other shelters in Santa Fe or indeed in the country? Okay. So the Interfaith Community Shelter, I refer to it as a come-as-you-are shelter or minimal barrier shelter. And what that means is that uh, we accept everyone, regardless of their condition or circumstance, including their pets, I might add. We have a kennel because we don't want anyone to stay outdoors during the winter and freeze because they're attached to their dog and can't bring the dog in. All the other shelters in Santa Fe, which we work closely with, are clean and sober. So as you might know, because the Interfaith Alliance was intimately involved with this, uh, back in the winter of 2007, and I've heard various numbers, uh, anywhere from 21 to 24, people who were homeless uh, froze to death from hypothermia. And And that was every winter, right? Yeah, for for a number of winters. So uh, subsequently, the faith groups came together uh, to do something about this because the person most likely to die on the street in Santa Fe is actually someone who is inebriated. So they will pass out and then they will freeze to death. So uh, our mission is intricately tied to that particular segment of the population that is homeless. So most of the people we serve have mental health issues. They may be self-medicating. A, a good percentage of them are. And, uh, and we're the only place that will take them at this point, so, uh, and which I feel really good about because I f- feel like we're fulfilling our mission. And that's quite extraordinary. That's quite rare in the country, isn't it? Yes. And the other thing that I think is amazing, and this long precedes my arrival, is that we have 46 faith and community groups working together. I always joke we have everybody from A to Z, from the Adventist to the Zen Buddhist. Nice. So... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and that, that in and of itself, if you ask me, is amazing that people will set aside their differences to work together to take care of those people who are most vulnerable in our city. So, uh, I mean, I think Santa Fe in that way is unique and should be applauded. So, And you recently just put up a new sign saying how many volunteers it's been. I yes. can't remember the exact number. We have just about 2,000 active volunteers. And our new sign also says uh, we served... The, the, the 2,000 volunteers serve 65,000 meals, but that is actually a little misleading because the people we serve are hungry, and uh, subsequently they take two and three servings. So we count heads, but really we're doing 130 to 190,000 meals a year, somewhere in that range. So it's really 60,000 people. 65,000 people, yeah. And that's per year? Per year, yes. That's an extraordinary number. Well, that's not a discrete number because, you know— some people come every night for a sure. while. Some people come. But yes, when you think about the population of Santa Fe and feeding 65,000 people, that really is an incredible number. So 
you mentioned 2007. How has it changed? How has the interfaith community changed since it was set up 13 years ago? Well, I, I, first of all, I hope to think we're better organized, you know, um, and, and we are. I think we have more faith groups participating, and as well, it's the interfaith community shelter because we also have community groups. The right. Rotary participates, Christus St. Vincent's Hospital p- participates. So it really is uh, a combination of faith groups and community groups, but we have many more faith groups participating now than we had before. So that that's really how it's evolved. And, uh, and we're always still looking for other faith groups that we may not be in touch with who want to, you know, uh, serve at the shelter and, uh, you know, we, we welcome them. So, And people don't have to be part of a faith group to help. Oh, not at all. I mean, we have, when I say 2,000 active volunteers, we have day service volunteers uh, who work in the community closet. And by the way, last year we gave away more than 42,000 articles of clothing. Um, we have uh, We have a cooking crew Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. We serve lunch and distribute clothing, like I said, and we also do showers. We have a shower crew. We have people registering people. And then we have some people who are on the floor just sort of uh, socializing and monitoring and helping uh, just uh, point to triage people wherever they need to go. We also have 11 partner providers. So in the course of those three what we call resource days, uh, we healthcare for the homeless is there. Lifelink is there. St. Elizabeth's is there. The food depot sends someone over to enroll people in food stamps. Uh, we have homeless court. Judge Vigil comes once a month to to uh, ser- uh, yeah to serve do uh, a court in our building, and uh, we have a we have a an attorney who also provides legal clinic. One of my favorites, I always say this, is the Santa Fe Desert Corral. They've started a homeless choir at the shelter. We do an art group. We do haircuts. We have youth shelters there, uh, primarily because we take anyone from 18 on up on their own. I mean, we will take younger children if a parent is with them. But um, I worked for many years with runaway and homeless youth. Right. And uh, that crowd between 18 and 24, this really isn't the appropriate placement for them. And so I, we have youth shelters there helping and looking to place younger people in that age range between 18 and 24, wherever, get them services through youth shelters wherever they can. And a long time ago, we had Malin Schuyler here um, from YouthWorks and YouthWorks to talk about that particular vulnerable population it as is. well. It is, yeah. No, it is. At one point, there was an effort... Uh, to try to create, excuse me, try to create a wet shelter for people that age. So, but that seems to have died down. I think I think we need to pause and just appreciate the extraordinary thing that you're doing, which is so many people in Santa Fe. I think probably assume that um, the community shelter or Pete's Place, as people often call it is just a place for homeless people to go to have shelter and maybe food for the evening. But you've just described an extraordinary array of of activities from haircuts to desert corral, you know, homeless choir. Yeah. It, that's an extraordinary idea because it's giving them something to hold on to. It's showing that you have a valuable contribution and a valuable voice. All these kind of things, it's quite extraordinary. Well, you know, one, one of the things um, that we were really clear about uh, back about six years ago when I arrived 
is that uh, we wanted to create a community for people who don't have one. Right. And, um, you know, so our approach is really non-judgmental and to accept people where they're at, to acknowledge their humanity, and to deal with, uh, serve them with dignity. So uh, we really have, uh, from what I can see from the, the, the bad old days, so to speak, to, to the current time, we really have evolved. And uh, my, my barometer for all of this, believe it or not, is the walls in a dining hall. Um, at, any, at lunchtime, at dinner time, we'll have 100, 120 to 150 people in that dining hall. We will have people with mental health issues. We will have people with anger issues. We will have people with substance use issues. And if you look at the walls, they're intact. That says two things to me. Because uh, I've been in other shelters where, you know, people get angry and get upset and they punch holes in the wall. I've even seen somebody take a chair and stick it through the sheetrock. Um, what that says is, one, that kindness and compassion work. Mm. And two, that our guests respect and appreciate what we're providing for them. So, I mean, it, you know, it speaks to both ends of the spectrum here. I think there's a very important aspect which I, I think of your work, which I think is so important for this show soul searching what you're doing is you're finding the humanity in people who have had a difficult time in their life people who've fallen on bad circumstances people who have developed behavioral health issues right. and you're saying you are a person and you are loved and you are valued just as much as any other person and i i think when you're talking about creating community that's key you're not a food service you're not a shelter service what you're doing is you're helping people connect. A hundred percent. That that has been our goal from day one. I mean, we provide a lot of service, like we said, the number of meals, the number of people. But the most important thing we provide is this community for people so that they're, they're not left adrift in our society. You know? So from time to time, I've got to ask the difficult question. From time to time, I've heard the shelter, people say, uh, shelter should be moved. Shelter should go from Sirius Road uh, and it should go somewhere further out of town or something like that. I guess it's a good question to ask you. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I, I don't think people understand that when the shelter, the present location of the shelter came into existence, that Mayor Koss and a, a, a lot of people from the city, from the state, you know, uh, and the county looked at a lot of different locations. And they spent a year trying to identify a location. And I believe that they picked the right location. I mean, we are a one-stop shop, which is what Mayor Koss had wanted originally and the city council at that time. And like I said, we have 11 partner providers so people can come for resource days. But we're, we're in the right zone. We're in an industrial zone. We're on a bu the major bus route for the city of Santa Fe, which is highly important for people who don't have transportation. Right. And at this point, since the city has expanded southward, we really are essentially in the center of the city. And uh, and so I believe it's, it's, you know, a lot of thought went into this, and I believe it's really the right location. And, in fact, the mayor's ed, uh, Veterans Advisory Board wrote a letter to the mayor ceasing the city councilors supporting the current location, so, uh, you know, for homeless veterans. So I, I think that, that, that we are in the right place. Wherever we move will be difficult for anyone wherever we move. That It's just the nature of... Uh, shelters and, and uh, neighborhoods they live in. You right, know, so, right. So, uh, but we, we try to be a good neighbor. We really do. And uh, we clean the whole block. Uh, we, we call 
the police when necessary to So wait, you send people out to to, to take care of the local area? The whole block, the whole we we, we send, I have employees uh, who go out and clean up the whole block looking for garbage, looking for needles if there be any, uh, and and try to, you know, participate. We put cameras on Harrison Street and Jorgensen, which are our side streets, so that we could see the activity there and record it if necessary. So, um, and by the way, the shelter is covered. Ninety-eight percent of the shelter itself is covered by security cameras, just so we keep an eye on things. So, before we take a break, let's ask: What are the biggest challenges facing homeless people in Santa Fe today? Well, you know, all the people we serve, or just about all the people we serve, uh, are struggling with a mental health issue. Right. And uh, from my perspective, um, what's happened is most of the people we serve have early childhood trauma that was never attended to for, one, for whatever reason. And so I, I really do believe that what we need are more mental health services here, not just in Santa Fe, but in the state probably, and actually, in, in fact, throughout the country, we need more mental health services. And so what we're seeing, it's the mental health issue that usually renders the person homeless. Right. And so that's, that is our biggest hurdle. Of course, housing is an, is an additional hurdle. And, um, but in order to be successful in housing, um, what you need is intensive case management. And by intensive, I mean some people need to be seen every day. Right. You know, if you think about it, if you take a person who's been homeless for a number of years and you put them in an apartment by themselves when they've been living communally for a number of years, all those emotional issues, the trauma, will rise to the surface, not to mention that they'll feel isolated. So it's really important that uh, they have appropriate case management services. Some people will need to be seen every day. Some people will need to be seen every week. Uh, when I was back in my old job, we learned this way back in the mid-'80s, we had a uh, – we, we, we started an adult shelter with the Council of Churches in the area I came from, and uh, – there was a minister from a Methodist church, and we put our first shelter in the basement of that church, and he was very enthusiastic and very kind and very generous, and uh, he had some renovated apartments, and he rented them out to uh, people who had stayed at our shelter, and in six months, he was devastated because they were destroyed. Wow. And so we learned that we need to do intensive case management with people. And and we also what we did, and I don't know if this, uh, if anybody else is doing this. We signed contracts with people because I believe contracts work. You, oh. it, it's something you know. Even though you you might think, well, they're just signing the name to something, but we signed contracts with people that they would participate in case management, and that seemed to really do the trick. You know? We're going to take a pause. I'd like to come back particularly to the behavioral health issue because I, I believe that's so crucial as you've right. expressed. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Uh, my guest this evening, Joe Jordan Baranis, the Executive Director of the Interfaith Community Shelter at Pete's Place. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest, Joe Jordan Berenis, the Executive Director of the Interfaith Community Shelter at Pete's Place here in Santa Fe. And you've been describing the extraordinary work, and it really is extraordinary. I don't know if you realize how extraordinary the work you do is. Um, but we were talking before the break about mental health issues. And, right. and I really I get the sense from you that that the Interfaith Community Shelter is a symptom of a much larger problem. 
that it's not a place for it's not somewhere that places homeless people and just deals with homeless people. It's actually a symptom of a much larger behavioral health issue in the state and in this country. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, a couple. First, I want to say, you know, a lot of the population we serve is between fifty and eighty. That's the bulk of the population. Uh, most of them, like I said, have mental health issues, but a lot of the people we serve once had productive lives, particularly the women. And, and so, um, and uh, what happens is it's the mental health issue, often late onset mental health issue, that renders them homeless. But here in New Mexico, and uh, there's a thing called ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experience Score, yeah. uh, which originally was uh, developed by Kaiser Permanente to uh, assess the people they were assuring in California. And what that is is a measure of traumatic events in one's life. So the national average is three. Now, at, when you hit five and six, uh -huh. you start to get all the behaviors that are symptomatic of a community that's ailing. You get homelessness, you get addiction, you get rotation in and out of the jail in the emergency room, et cetera. New Mexico is seven. Yep. So it says to me that we have a lot of work to do, particularly on the front end when young people, uh, when people are young, and uh, and and that and I know a lot of people are aware of this. So I'm, I, you know, but I, you know, I worked with, I worked like I said with runaway and homeless youth for a long time, and most of those young people were abused or neglected, and uh, what I find at the shelter is that when I sit with somebody, I'm not a clinician, but when I sit with somebody, usually it has to do with something they shouldn't have done, uh, I find early childhood abuse. Right. And so if I put in perspective uh, my old job, and I think about, well, you know, we saw all these kids, thousands of kids over the years, and we had a lot of mental health services in place, fortunately, in the county I came from. And I would say 75% of those kids learn to manage their abuse and go on to have productive lives. Right. But that other 25% that didn't get the help they needed, for whatever reason, you know, maybe there was no help available, maybe they were shame-based and did not want to present that they had been abused, uh, whatever, for whatever reason, that 25% are the people who we're sheltering every night as adults. And I remember reading um, that uh, with regards to the ACEs test um, and uh, New Mexico school children uh, right. that, yes, the average, I believe, in New Mexico was a score of around four, uh, which already points to some very serious potential issues sure. in the future, which yes. you end up responding to as the um, as sort of safety net almost for the larger issue. Yes. And, and I, you know, I also want to say, um, you know, the people we serve, I know. And I know, you know, like we relate to them, they relate to us. Uh, so I understand the human side of who they are. But I also understand what people see on the street. And I want people to understand that um, what they're looking at is the mental health issue. Right. When they see the clothes or the shopping cart, I mean, a lot of the people, I'm telling you, a lot of the people we serve have master's degrees. I mean, I we try to hire as many former guests as possible. I have seven currently hired. And uh, I have a person working in the kitchen who has his... Uh, BA and his master's in economics from the University of Chicago. It's not unusual. Right. The women who are staying with us, many of them are really well educated. And, uh, you know, we have 30, 35 women a night staying with us. And in the summer, we have the women's summer safe haven. 
and they're mostly in their 60s and 70s, and uh, many of them were teachers. I have one who was, I was talking to the other day who has her degree in coastal sustainability, and, and her ex-husband was an architect, and she used to work in Norway. Wow. I mean, uh, so a lot of people are, people don't recognize necessarily that it was, it's the mental health issue they're looking at, not at the person. You know? And I think what you share here is so important because there but by the grace of God go I, the, the idea that this could be anyone with yes. just some bad fortune. You know, this isn't a, this is somebody who's been locked into poverty from the beginning of their life. This could be somebody who was very um, well off, very well established, well educated and so on. And then life just took a terrible downturn. Right. I mean, you know, trauma is indiscriminate and it's often uninvited. You know, right. so uh, and it could happen to anyone. And some people are able to manage it. They if they're fortunate enough, they find, you know, we know enough now through the CDC that uh, a young person, if they have a mentor, it can change the direction of their life. Uh, some people might be fortunate enough to have someone like that in their life, uh, even though they have experienced a trauma, right. you know. Uh, so but the people we're serving, for whatever reason, did not have that good fortune. And uh, and they are a part of our community, you know. Right. It makes me think of the old story from years ago when, when Prince Charles, back in England, went to visit a homeless shelter. And uh, one of the guests there, homeless guests, looked at him and said, you don't remember me, do you? And he said, no, should I? He said, yes, we were at Eton together. Wow. Uh, and this was a really, you know, the newspapers went crazy, the prince and the pauper. That right. was the headline everywhere. <laughs> but but that's right. You know, this this isn't. An other. This isn't the other. Right. This is us, just right. just with different life circumstances. Yeah, there is no us in them. Right. We're all in this together. <laughs> now, you mentioned about um, about you understand the the human side. I mean, you really put a, a very important human face on this, but you also understand what people see in the street. I've been living in Santa Fe five and a half years. I've noticed a dramatic increase in the number of people on the roadside who are asking for money. And so what do you attribute that to? And what do you think is the most appropriate response? Well, first of all, I want to say I, I see the people you're talking about. I don't know hardly any of them I know. I mean, it's, it's, so what that says to me is that they're not necessarily homeless, that they're, what they're doing is they're panhandling to make an income. And um, it's, it's interesting. My wife sometimes berates me because... I give people money. And she says, you run a homeless shelter. How can you do that? But I think it's a personal choice what people want to do. Um, I have also seen, and I'm not advocating one way or the other, uh, I've also seen someone who I do, did know who stays at the shelter selling newspapers on an island right. on, on one of our major thoroughfares in the morning. And that same person in, that same, in the same clothes panhandling on the same spot. And so uh, does working for a company legitimize versus self-employment? I mean, you could look at it many ways here. Right, I'm not, right. uh, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is, this is a question that a lot of people uh, bring up all the time. Uh, wherever I go, I think it speaks to poverty in our community, the gap between uh, rich and poor, which really does exist. Right. Um, and uh, it, so, I, but I do think, Everything is a personal decision. And if you want to give, you should give. If you don't want to, you, 
You don't have to. Some people give canned goods. Some people uh, give advice to go to the shelter. Right. You know, but most of the people I see, I don't recognize, and they are. I don't believe them to be homeless necessarily. I think that's very important. I've, yeah. I've seen people swap shifts yeah. and, and thought that that doesn't make sense from a homeless perspective. But then we don't know. It's difficult to know who is authentically homeless and who right. isn't. You know. And and the other things I don't judge. I mean, right. you know, I give and I, I don't know whether they're going to use that money for something they shouldn't or whether they're going to use that money for food or a motel room. Right. I, I have not a clue. That's right. not my judgment. Um, but one of the things that, that we see in Los Angeles now in San Francisco and I think is sort of part of Santa Fe's culture here now is that uh, prosperity breeds homelessness. Uh-huh. It, you, it's kind of counterintuitive. Right. You would think, okay, the more prosperous a community, the less homelessness. But it's wrong because real estate values go up, right. rentals go up, and then you end up creating more homelessness right. rather than less. So, so even the lack of affordable housing. Right, right. exactly. We've only got a few minutes left. I, I guess I have to ask, how are you expecting the COVID-19 pandemic? How are you expecting that to affect the homeless community? Well, that, that's a really big question. I don't think any of us have the answer. Uh, we've been in touch or I've been in touch with the Department of Health, with Krista St. Vincent's, with the fire department. We have a protocol in place if someone should present symptomatic uh, so far, and I thank God, nobody has presented symptomatic, and I uh, appreciate that uh, for them and for all the volunteers and staff. Um, but I, you know, that's the big question: What happens if somebody does? What happens if they are tested positive? Um, what are the implications in the wider community? We're sheltering. I mean, last night we sheltered about a hundred people. We fed about one hundred and thirty-five. Um, what are the implications there? Not to mention staff and volunteers. Right. So I think we're in uncharted waters, uh, all of us, not just sheltering programs. And uh, we're trying to do this the best way we know how. Social distancing is not going to take place in a shelter. It just can't. But we are constantly reminding people to wash their hands and uh, don't touch their face and and take all the necessary precautions. And and somewhere in the back of my little fantasy world, I'm hoping that – this is going to skip right over the shelter. Okay. But I don't know right. that for a fact. And I guess the hope is, I assume, that you're looking for more volunteers right now because some volunteers, right. some of the many thousands of volunteers, aren't able to come out right now. So I assume you're looking for more volunteers? Yes, 100%. We're looking for more volunteers. We're also, I hired uh, three new staff recently to cover some of the holes in the volunteers. None of this was in our budget. All oh, right. So uh, so we're looking for donations and we're looking for additional volunteers. And here's the good, good news. You know, there's always a silver lining. Uh, a lot of the volunteers who are older uh, decided not to come in, which I support and sure. you know, understand and appreciate. But we've had a number of people step up, good. which has been great. And so far, we're operating as normal. Uh, and uh, and it's kind of amazing, but yes, it's and miraculous, I might add, you know. But so far, between hiring some additional staff and other volunteers stepping up, we've been able to, you know, keep every keep the operation going as smoothly as possible. Well, I think you're doing just absolutely extraordinary work. I always have done. Um, I really thank you for coming on to our show. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So thank you, Joe Jordan Berenice, the Executive Director of the Interfaith Community Shelter at Pete's Place. We do hope that people listening will um, be inspired not just to see the human face uh, in uh, your guests, but also to help um, to offer donations or offer time. Um, this really is a, a citywide issue. So thank you. Um, you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And so until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.